So let us hear then God's word, Titus 1, beginning in verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths may be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, last time we started this subsection, and Paul here again is instructing Titus to appoint elders who must be able to teach as well as to rebuke the false teachers. And so Paul now addresses here in this section the the false teachers, the things they were teaching and doing, and how the elders then are supposed to speak against them and so forth. And so he begins by saying that the false teachers are against the truth, they're rebellious, they talk, but their talk is worthless. And, of course, they deceive now, he says here that especially this is seen among the, uh, the circumcision, referring to the Jews, which may refer to just unbelieving Jews. Uh, it may refer to Jews who did accept Jesus but had missed the centrality of the gospel and especially how Gentiles are, are fit into all of this. And so Paul then instructs Titus, who's to instruct the elders, to silence these false teachers, not with force, but with truth. He also says this is a serious problem because families, households are being undermined and even destroyed because of this. These false teachers are not just in error, but they are being selfish. Simply, they are doing things in order uh, to gain a lot of money or temporal blessings. Well, Paul here then um, now makes clear that it's not just the circumcision that is the problem. He'll return to that in verse 14. But he also indicates that there are those on Crete, and you might say just simply the Cretan culture, that is a problem and how it's affecting the church. And so it's not just, can you say, the, the wrong teaching, but it's the wrong living that can impact uh, us negatively. So let's look here then at verse 12. He says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. All right, now, there is some debate in regard to who said this, but most people say it was very likely a man called Epimenides. He lived, uh, we believe, in the late 6th century B.C. into the early 5th century B.C. He was from the city of Nassos in Crete. He was known as a poet. He was known as a religious leader, hence the idea of a prophet here. He was known as a philosopher. And uh, there are even some claims that he performed some miracles. Plato, Aristotle, Cicero all refer to him and call him a prophet. 
And so Paul's words here are very consistent in that way. Paul's quoting a well-known person, you might say. Um, now, as for Epimenides, and is actually true for much of the ancient literature, um, there are no full manuscripts of the writings of Epimenides. Most of the ancient literature we have are fragments, um, so just parts of what they wrote, or other people quoted them, and so you piece things together and so forth. There are very few, so the, the New and the Old Testament are highly unique when it comes to, to ancient uh, literature and such. Um, but that's for another time and place to talk about that. But uh, there are a few things that have been found written by this man. But the one thing that has been confirmed is what he says here. Cretans are always liars. And it continues. All right, so <clears throat> why is this so important? Well, obviously, uh, this man said this because in Crete, it must have been, can you say, a, an extra problem? Everybody lies. We all lie in one way or another, with our words, with our actions, the things we say, the things we don't say, and so forth. Okay, but the Cretans must have been so prolific in their lying that this statement was made, and actually there were two words in the Greek language that were created and put in their language based on this. Okay, so the, the Greek word for Crete is krete. The verb form is kratizo, which means to lie, and the noun is kratismos, which means a lie or a falsehood. So these two Greek words are based on Crete and this idea that they were, uh, can you say, great liars? Um, so it is uh, likely the case that Paul is addressing, if you will, this everyday behavior but some people have tried to say that the reason that Paul addresses this and even this statement was made is because the, the Cretans boasted of being the home of Zeus. They said that Zeus was born on Crete and died on Crete. They had his, his tomb there. Um, and this, of course, upset everybody who believed that Zeus was a god. And for them to say that Zeus was dead and just a man who became a hero, that, that didn't go over so well. Uh, they also said that most and maybe all of the Greek gods came from Crete. Um, and the true Olympus <clears throat> is not in Greece, but in Crete. So uh, at the very least, what has happened uh, historically is that other people said the Cretans are lying because of this issue. Um, that Zeus, of course, came elsewhere or whatever. Um, but... When, when you look at what Paul says, he quotes this whole quote, and then he goes on to say some things, plus the things that he's already said. Uh, it sounds like Paul is emphasizing, if you will, the everyday lying, not just lying because you have a wrong th uh, theology and philosophy, but this everyday living of not just being liars, but being evil beasts and being lazy gluttons. And so Paul, uh, I think, is emphasizing here that the Cretans are people you cannot trust. They are dishonest, and unceasingly so. So, a little debate there, but I think that's our focus here. Now, let me bring in the idea of the evil beast. The Cretans were known for this as well, hence, of course, this quote. They were known for being pirates, at least some of them. Right? It's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, so 
um, you know, the pirates of the Mediterranean here or something like that, right? And, you know, the dead man ship or whatever it was called, you know. Um, so this idea, they would go around and they would plunder. They were known for their barbarism. They were known for their warfare. They were called by various people wild, rude, treacherous, greedy, arrogant. And so this wild beast idea certainly fits. They also were known for practicing homosexuality in their temples, and that certainly would fit in this category too. Now, um, a number of commentators made this point. Um, it, it, you know, we live here in Western PA, so we have wild beasts everywhere. Hey, whether you're talking about a squirrel or a deer or a bear or whatever, but we have wild animals all around us. But on Crete, apparently there were very few, if any. And uh, this would make sense. You're on an island, there's only so much space, and people would kill them for food, and, and of course they would build their cities and so on. But one commentator then put it this way, there was no need for wild beasts on Crete, because the Cretan inhabitants were sufficient. So, the third thing that Paul mentions here by way of this quotation is that they were lazy gluttons. Now, your translation may have the term idle here, um, and, and that's fitting. You might remember from last week in verse 10, um, the New King James says, idle talkers. But that term idle does not mean they were just sitting around and do nothing. They were talking. It's just their words were empty. There was nothing of substance there that was good. Here, it does mean idleness. They were sitting around. They were being lazy. They did not work. And so um, this is a, a good way of translating this idea. Now, most likely what they did is they lived off the piracy and other thievery and stealing and lying and such that they did. Obviously, it was a key trade route, right? We know Paul, on his way to Rome, stopped in Crete just briefly. Um, and so their unrighteous dealings in that way um, likely contributed to having all this money and hence being lazy and being gluttonous, being overweight, at least to some degree. They were living according to their appetites. And so here's what Epimenides said about them. And look at verse 13. Okay. This testimony is true, Paul says. Now, he probably was not on Crete long enough on his trip to Rome to really experience it, but maybe he did to some degree. Certainly, he had heard about it, but now as he has come to Crete to plant these churches, he saw it up close and personal. And so he now is advising Titus, who in turn is instructing the elders in these churches, okay, we need to be uh, rebuking those who are living this way. Let me read here just a moment from uh, Dr. Knight. And uh, he has two quotations. The first one is from Polybius. This is an ancient writer. He says, So much, in fact, do sordid love of gain and lust for wealth prevail among them that the Cretans are the only people in the world in whose eyes no gain is disgraceful. Okay. <clears throat> Um, maybe we might think of Las Vegas or something like that as an equivalent. And then he quotes from Cicero, ancient historian, moral principles are so divergent that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. So again, this was no unique statement by Epimenides or even by Paul. 
All right, well, here's a, a brief analysis of the Cretan culture. Again, not just their, if you will, doctrines, their philosophies, but how they lived. As we look at our own culture today, can we, like Paul, say this testimony is true of America? And I think we have to say yes. And if we are unsure, then you're not paying much attention to what's happening in our culture. It has gone uh, to the dogs, as it were. It has gone downhill um, considerably in the last uh, generation or two. Um, We are constantly faced with liars. All you have to do is turn on the TV, look at your smartphone, you know, look at the media. There is one lie after another. And the only way you're going to know that is if you're paying attention to what actually is true. And if you know what actually is true, then you hear the lies everywhere. And so whether it's the politician getting up there to speak um, about some bill or to be elected or whatever, it's just one lie after another. Uh, We see it even in in the sports world. How many times do you hear somebody interview a player who used to be on a team and now his current team is playing that, and they ask, well, what's it going to be like to play your old team? And they usually say, oh, it'll be no big deal. You know, we're just trying to win the game. And then after the game, they say, oh, it was so great to beat my old team. I'm like, well, you just lied to us. Now, that may not be as significant as lying to us about where COVID came from, but it's still a lie, and it's accepted. Okay. Obviously, we could look at many other situations in the media. The one of the most, um, I guess, uh, popular or uh, eventful things happening in our um, uh, culture right now has to do with all these documents that have been found. First, there in regard to Trump, and now in regard to Biden, and it's just one more lie after another. Okay. We have the whole situation with Hunter Biden and the laptop and where did all the money come from and Burisma and so forth. And again, if you know what has actually happened, okay, you're just hearing one lie after another. We have been told for the last number of years about certain things. And yet now that Elon Musk owns Twitter and these Twitter files are coming out, we're like, oh, okay, what we were told was not true. And what actually happened was XYZ. Um, George Santos, this new Republican representative in New York, is being uh, um, basically, uh, he's being accused of all these lies, and it's showing to be the case. And so it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on here. Remember, as I said, the true aisle is the aisle between the true conservative and the progressives. And we saw that for the vote for the Speaker of the House. Those 20 people who held out are really the true conservatives. Pay attention. That's where the real aisle is. So whether you're talking about the McConnells or the Clintons, Bernie Sanders or John Boehner, all these people are on the same side. And they lie to us regularly. I mentioned COVID, so you think of Fauci, you think of Bill Gates. All these people are in bed with the globalists. But the point that I'm trying to make here is they're constantly lying to us. And if you are paying attention, you will see that. 
don't be swayed by just whatever the media says. Do your homework. All right, well, that's kind of out there. But what about when you go to work? Do you go to work with liars? What about yourself? Are you lying? What about when we get together for family events? Of course, we just had the holidays here not that long ago. What about when you come to church and somebody asks, Hi, how was your week? Do you lie in response? Obviously, our schools are doing a lot of lying to our children. We are t- they are teaching our children that the Founding Fathers were a bunch of terrible racists, the 1619 Project, the critical theories. Our children are being told by doctors that it's not harmful to have a sex change or to be chemically castrated or to abort children. Doctors have lied to us, CDC and all the pharmacists and such, about the benefits of the COVID vaccine. On and on and on I could go here. And the question is, is America like Crete? I think the answer has to be yes. This is in part why we have so many lawyers. You cannot trust anyone anymore. So much for a handshake. And the deal is done. If we were to pick one of the Ten Commandments as being the one that is broken the most in our culture today, I think the first commandment would have to be top on the list. But I wonder if the ninth commandment is second. There's so much lying that's going on. It is sad. And it isn't just by the powers that be. It is so commonplace. And so what does Paul tell Titus, who then is to tell the elders, the next part of verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Reprove them severely. This word is an intense word, you might say. Do it rigorously. Discipline them. Warn them. This is a big deal. Lying is not something we should become used to. As one non-Christian has said that I have read and such and referenced even in the past, he made the statement, the most endangered species is the honest man. Will he survive annihilation? If we're going to have a sound and healthy faith, it must be characterized by truth and honesty. And so this is why it is so important to Paul. If we're going to be like our culture, like the Cretan culture, the American culture, we're going to be lying on a regular basis, then how can we have a sound faith? How can we say we believe it all, even? In a world that denies that there is absolute truth, Lying becomes the norm to survive. We live in a culture today that is not about ascertaining truth. It's about storytelling. And the one who has the best story wins. This is what happened the last election cycle. 
Right? What story did we hear about Fetterman? Well, it depends on which side you were on. Well, the best story won. Now, I think there was some fudging with votes, but that's another aspect. And that's lying too, is it not? But storytelling with fudged facts and even made-up facts is so commonplace. Okay? Whether it's Russia collusion or COVID or January 6th or whatever it is. Okay? <clears throat> but again, let's return to some more, if you will, of our everyday experience. What do you do when you're reporting about a client to your boss? Are you being honest? What about filling out an application for a job or, you know, something else? What about when you go out in social gatherings? What kind of mask are you wearing? And I don't mean the one that Michelle wore for COVID. I'm talking about those walls we put up, the, how we pretend to be a certain kind of person when we're out with others, even here at church. Again, we are living in a culture where the best story wins. It doesn't matter what is true. But we as Christians have got to be different. We have to be honest. Now, this doesn't mean we come to church and just bear our soul or we go out to Walmart and just tell anybody anything that's going on in our life. That is not necessarily what, what I'm advocating for. And I don't think that's what Paul means either. But we're not to lie about it either. Okay. Let's speak carefully. Let's speak honestly. Don't pretend that someone is your best friend when you're with them and then slander them when they're not around. Lying is what Satan does. Lying is, if you will, his M.O. He is the father of lies, as the scripture says. Deceiving, it is, that is what unbelievers do. And so as elders, we must rebuke sharply those who are dishonest. You know, even here in our church, over the last... Um, whatever, five to seven years, we've had to excommunicate someone whose primary sin was lying. We had also to exercise church discipline against someone, and really one of the biggest issues was the fact that this person was lying. It isn't just out there. These are serious sins. But don't forget that everyday fibs and white lies and benevolent untruths are just as sinful and worthy to be called out. And so Paul here is being very, um, can you say, in your face? He doesn't care if the Cretans are offended (laughs) because truth is most important. We must uphold the truth as Christians, as leaders in the church. We must ensure that this is taking place. And if people are living a life of lying, that's worthy of church discipline. It is something that we must uh, take very seriously. But again, since we live in a culture that is filled with liars, it's easy for us to just say, oh, well, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. But as Christians, we must be very different. Our God is a God of truth. And we must then act accordingly. All right, well, let's talk then about the evil beasts here a little bit. Is America filled with evil beasts? 
And again, I'm not talking about bear and coyote and those kind of things. You know, there was a time where being on the wrong side of the Clintons led to sudden heart attacks by many. I wonder what the enemies of the Bidens are going through right now. Well, if you betray Mitch McConnell and his wife, I've mentioned this before. I think uh, Dr. Fauci is one of the worst men who has ever lived because of his lies in regard to COVID. He is a eugenicist, and he is being very successful, and all those who are with him. The media is just an evil beast. Now, we can point out the easy ones. China, Russia, Venezuela, North Korea, Iran. Okay, those are evil beasts. All right. But so, too, is the alt-left. So, too, is the alt-right. And many of the alt-left are in positions of power in our country, from the president on down to school board members. Some have smiles. Some are pretty. Some are handsome. Just look at the governor of California. Handsome man. Very winsome. But I wouldn't want to be on his bad side. Some are scary. Some look evil. The question is not what they look like, but how do they behave? We have evil beasts in our culture. All right, again, that's out there. What about in our everyday lives? Maybe you've heard about some of these stories. The bullies at at school, especially now with the social media uh, and the way people are bullied anymore, it's just horrible. Um, What about the scum that beat up kids for shoes? I've heard of this happening at least three or four times in New York over the last few months. What about the coyotes who are smuggling people into America? And now, you know, you just need to cross over. (laughs) No big deal. Uh, What about the sex traffickers? You remember when the Colburns were here, their one daughter was working with that issue of trying to rescue young girls. Um, What about the thugs that are pushing people onto the subway tracks? You, You see the point. Hey. We have evil beasts all around us. Here on this Sunday, we remember especially uh, the issue of abortion. And uh, um, we talked a little bit about it this morning in regard to the, the fundraiser at CLA. I saw an article this week that said that since the Roe v. Wade issue was uh, dealt with here by the Supreme Court, that approximately 2,000 babies in every state have been saved, just on average. But, of course, not every state has gotten rid of abortion. But about 100,000 babies have been saved, this report said, since this uh, bill was overturned, or this law, or whatever. That's good. That's very good. But we still have about 73 million babies being aborted every year because we have eugenicists who are part of Davos and the World Economic Forum and the NIH and the WHO and so on and so forth that are just trying to control the population. They're doing it through abortion. They're doing it through COVID. They're doing it through uh, medicines. They're trying to reduce the population. These are evil beasts, guys. 
This isn't just a difference of opinion. But again, as we think closer to home, when we are mean to someone, when we shout and insist on our way, we may be less beastly, we may be less evil, but it's still acting like an evil beast. As Christians, we must be fundamentally different. We must not act this way. As leaders in the church, we must demand that this kind of behavior not happen. We must do whatever we need to do through teaching, through church discipline, to insist that we live a life of integrity. Why? So that we'll be sound in the faith. If we are living a life of of lying and, and evil, then how can we say that God is a God of love and a God of truth and so on and so forth? We must insist on love. We must insist on kindness. Now, the, the third one that we see here, of course, are the lazy gluttons. Is America filled with lazy gluttons? Seems to be an easy answer to these questions, doesn't it? Now, some of us are overweight because of genetics, some of us because of a medical condition, some of us because of the medicines that we take. Um, as the saying went, it's called COVID-19 because you gain 19 pounds. Okay, well, yeah, that's because of the cytokine storm that it creates in some people. Um, but the vaccine also has led to weight gain because of how it sheds proteins. And even though I haven't had it, I've been affected by those who've had. And so I gained some weight. And here just recently, in the last couple months, I took an enzyme that helped to get rid of that protein. And I lost 10 or 15 pounds. Now, the rest of it is because <coughs> uh, I just enjoy food, <laughs> uh, as I'm sure all of us did here a few hours ago. Um, for most of us, though, um, we, you know, we live in a culture of excess. We live in a culture of plenty. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of gluttony going on. Okay. A decade ago, according to some studies that I saw, no state had obesity rates over 35%. But now the national average is 41%. And approximately 73% of all Americans are considered overweight or obese. It's a huge number. Now some of it is because People cannot afford to eat healthily. If you're going to buy organic and all-natural foods, it tends to be more expensive. Buying a bag of chips or getting a hamburger at McDonald's or something is cheaper than getting something that is good for you. But most people eat unhealthily and eat too much just because that's what they want to do. (laughs) Then you add to that laziness. People sit around and watch TV, play video games, stare at their smartphones, watching their YouTube videos for hours or social media contacts or whatever. Our culture is clearly led by laziness. Just look at the unemployment and all this sort of thing. You had people trying, businesses uh, struggling because nobody wanted to work because the government would give them money, basically to stay at home. We live by our appetites. We live by our sinful pleasures and desires in our culture. This, too, must be rebuked. This, too, must be rebuked sharply. 
Laziness is not the way we should be. Right? The Proverbs make that abundantly clear. Gluttony is something we should fight with. Okay? And we should do better, myself included. You know, in the PCA, we've been talking about adding questions for candidates in regard to sexuality. Uh, but there's also been this talk and push that we should be encouraging our presbyteries and so forth, to, to talk to candidates just about, if you will, everyday morality, too. And our presbytery is, has been asking some additional questions. I just had a committee meeting last Saturday, and that was some of the questions. I mean, came right out and said, you struggle with same-sex attraction. That was one of the questions. The other, um, see, what was the other one he asked? Um, is there any kind of um, hidden sin that we need to know about, or something to that effect. Okay, I know we had one candidate at one time who um, struggles with weight, and we asked him directly, you know, is it, how is this affecting your faith, and, and so forth. These are important questions. Because, again, as Paul says, right, that they may be sound in the faith. Our living is tied with our doctrine. I've said many times over the years that true doctrine manifests itself in how we live. If we have the right answer, but it's not impacting how we're living, we still don't know the answer yet. Okay. And so lying, evil bullies, laziness and gluttony lead to unorthodox beliefs and are evidence of unbiblical beliefs. Sound teaching, on the other hand, leads to sound living. It leads to honesty, it leads to love for others, it leads to work, it leads to fitness. Now this doesn't mean that just because you're in good shape, you're a true believer. <laughs> but there does tend to be a correlation. Just because you struggle with second helpings doesn't mean you're not a believer. But again, there does have this correlation. And uh, godliness and truth go together. This is Paul's point. And so as leaders in the church, we should model honesty, love, hard work, and discipline. And when there are others in the flock that are not, this is part of our responsibility too. We should do this as parents, obviously, with our children and, and so forth. Okay. <clears throat> and so how consistently are we practicing what we're preaching? Another way of Summarizing Paul's words here. All right, well, if we were going to bring in verse 14, we'd be here for a while. So we'll leave that, uh, Lord willing, for next week. But here are some of Paul's thoughts uh, in this section. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, we are thankful that you are truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We are thankful, Lord, that you are love. And um, we are thankful, Lord, that you have um, brought us to yourself, saved us, given us your spirit, so that we can then act like you. Lord, help us to do this. It's hard enough for us to do <clears throat> as recovering sinners with our old man still uh, present with us. But it's even harder when our culture is encouraging us to these sins. 
Lord, help us as your people to stand out, to be different, to be holy and righteous, to be honest and loving, and not fall prey to this culture of lying and deceit, of laziness and gluttony and, and evil. Help us, Lord, as leaders, whether it's leaders here in the church or in our homes or in other places, to uphold righteousness, that this may be, as Paul will say even more clearly in the next chapter, this, that this may be a good witness to those around us, that they may see that Christ really is Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your mercies in this way. We ask for your forgiveness where we fail. And we ask, Lord, that you would uh, work in us, that uh, we might uh, be like you in these ways. And so we pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.